0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, welcome. Uh, My name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new here tonight or you haven't been coming very long, uh, a warm welcome. I hope that tonight is... um, Illuminating on who Christ is and what the church looks like. We're a, a bunch of people. We believe we're not perfect, but we believe in a God who is. We believe in a God who shows up in the midst of the joys of life and in the midst of the hard things of life. And we love him and we worship him and we believe he's coming back one day. We're in the book of James, which was it's one of the last um, sort of books in your Bible in the New Testament. It was one of the first books of the New Testament written. And it was written by Jesus's, I guess you could say, half-brother, um, James, who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was God until after Jesus had died on a cross and was resurrected. Imagine that. your older brother resurrected from the dead. So he had faith and he became one of the leaders of the early church and he wrote this, some people sort of call it a letter, some people sort of call it a sermon, some people call it a collection of writings, but he wrote this thing, we'll call it a letter because it's easier. So he wrote this letter um, and really what it is, it's a collection of wisdom for how to put action on the Christian faith. It's how you take what you believe in your head and your heart and, and, you, and it moves you and it causes you to do something. So the context of the letter is that it's written to Christians. It's written to people that already believe. And I'm clarifying that because the section we've looked at tonight is all about doing things. It's about deeds And if we think that we need to do things in order to be saved or in order to be in relationship with God, we've got the order around the wrong way. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Jesus did. And we're saved by our faith in the grace of God that says you're not perfect and you don't have to be. So James says... Or well, he seems to say that the way we act in response to our faith matters. The picture I use is, is this: you don't work to earn a seat at the table. If God the Father has a table and he's laid out dinner, you don't have to do all the work to get a seat at the table. You don't have to chop the wood, you don't have to butcher the, the lamb or prepare the carrots if you're vegan. But, I don't know why I said that. Uh, but you don't have to do that stuff. He lays it out and he says, come and take a seat. And then once you're sitting in that table and you're feeling comfortable in your place in the family of God, then you can go and you can go out and you can do some of the work. But you can also invite others to come and meet your father and have a seat at that table as well. So we don't work to get a seat at the table, we work because we have a seat at the table and we're confident, we're secure in that. So if you're a Christian here tonight and you're not feeling very sure about whether you have a seat at that table, I want to reassure you that if your faith is in Jesus, no matter how small that faith is, you do. You do. We are part of God's plan for the world In his wisdom, he has given the world the church to point people, to point the world to him. Do we always do a good job of that? No, we don't. But we're called to do our best in faith to point others to Jesus. Now, if I think that, for example, coffee is a good thing, I'll tend to tell other people about how good coffee is and encourage them to have some. If I join a park run, which I accidentally did <laughs> yesterday and my quads are burning because I'm very unfit. But, you know, I, I didn't mind it. I might do it again. But if I think park run is excellent like Ivy does, then, sh- then you will tell other people about park run and you'll say, hey, come and do park run. It's really good. You get up early. You exercise, you run in front of a bunch of strangers. If you're unfit, it shows. I had people well into their 70s overtaking me. It was it was good for my pride, I think, but bad, yeah, like I said, for my quads. But also, if I believe that there is a God who loves me, who Redeemed my sin, who died for me, who offered me salvation, who said, Stop working so hard, I've done it, then surely I might want to point other people to that as well. And James is really ramping up now into his book. He's writing to Christians and he's challenging them that their faith, unless It's accompanied by deeds, unless it does something, he says it's as good as dead. So in verse 17, he says, In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. In verse 20, he says, You foolish person, you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless. In verse 24, he says, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And in verse 26, he says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Dead. Useless. These are the words that he's using to describe a faith that doesn't do anything. (sighs) Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, sometimes we read your word and it can be uh, intimidating And uh, we don't want to be Christians who have a dead faith. We don't want to be Christians that have a useless faith. We want to be a community whose faith is alive and useful in the world. So Lord, as we unpack this and as we think about it and as we ponder you and your heart tonight, Lord, I pray that you would move us into deeds of great charity for those in need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk about, I've got a two-point sermon tonight, actually, so I've really mixed it up. I'm normally a, a three-point, sometimes a four-point guy, but we're going with two. So the first point tonight is that faith trusts in God. Now, trust can be a challenge. And I think often we misplace our trust. We trust um people, we trust maybe our financial investments, we trust our education, we trust our teachers, we trust our family members, we trust all sorts of people and sometimes that disappoints us because those people aren't perfect and they're not Christ. I think every day we actually put trust in things. So each year, for example, I, I trust that the North Melbourne Football Club will improve and this year they did. <laughs> they didn't come last. This is AFL for anyone who doesn't know or doesn't care. Um, they, the last two years in a row they've finished dead last. The wooden spoon. This year they finished second last. <laughs> so that's really exciting. <laughs> 17th of 18th is pretty good. So I trust that North Melbourne will slowly improve. Every time you order McDonald's, you trust that the 13-year-old burger technician (laughs) will get your order right. You're trusting in the school system that he or she has been taught numeracy correctly so that when he sees double pickles on the screen, he knows double pickles and knows what that means. Every time you walk into work, into university, into your classroom, into church, you you trust that you'll be safe. You trust that there won't be people there to harm you, or you certainly hope that's the case. Every time you drive a car, you trust that everyone else will follow the road rules. So even if you don't perfectly, other people will. Every day we do things without thinking that are acts of trust, and as Christians, our ultimate trust, our deepest trust, needs to be in God. We trust in the God. We trust in Jesus who keeps on showing up. We trust in the God who, while we were still sinners, died for us. We trust in the God who offered us charity because we're all beggars before him. And James refers in this passage to the Old Testament patriarch Abraham, and I'm going to do my best to summarise 10 chapters of Genesis in about one minute. So if you want to read Abraham's story, it's a bit of a doozy, but go from Genesis 12, or the end of 11 if you want, to through to about Genesis 24, 25, and you kind of see the picture of, of who this Abraham guy is. But James references him to talk about faith. And Abraham was this this guy and he was promised um, by God that he would have countless descendants. He would have numerous um, offspring. It says that his descendants would be like the dust on the ground or the stars of the sky. And it's a ridiculous thing for God to say because Abraham and his wife Sarah, they're very old and they haven't been able to have children. It says that his wife was barren. But God makes this promise to Abraham. He says, you will have offspring. And when that kind of happens, Abraham's like 75, 80 years old. Is anyone in here 75, 80 years old? <laughs> There's some, maybe, I don't know. There's no one here over 30. Um, But God makes this ridiculous promise to Abraham and his wife. It's, it's ridiculous. And over the chapters of Genesis, they kind of there's these moments of, um, where they trust God that that's going to happen. There's these moments where they sort of take matters into their own hands a little bit. Sarah hears about it, and she laughs. She thinks it's the most ridiculous thing she's ever heard. But by about two decades later, 20 years later, roughly, when Abraham was around 100, this promise starts to be fulfilled. Sarah has a son, and they call him Isaac. And he goes on to sort of continue that family line, and that family line kind of, you can if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see the trajectory of that family line as it carries on and carries on and carries on, and Jesus ends up coming out of that family line, and through Jesus, every single person who puts their faith and God also becomes part of that family line. That promise that God made to Abraham is fulfilled. But God tests Abraham. And there's a moment in Genesis 22, and this is what James is referring to in verses uh, 21 to 24. Abraham is asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac the ultimate test of obedience, something that to us now sounds absolutely like ridiculous and, and shocking and awful. And I'm not going to kind of do too much work on this story because it's not the main point for tonight. But Abraham, in faith, takes his son and goes to sacrifice him. But he's stopped at the last moment by an angel of the Lord who points out a ram nearby and says, so sacrifice that instead. God tests Abraham's faithfulness and obedience and in faith, in Abraham's deeds of faith, God comes through. So James writes in verse 21 to 24, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous? For he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So James points out this example from the Old Testament, and, and it's a it's a fairly extreme example. But he says, You see this guy, Abraham, who they all knew. He was a very important figure in in sort of Judaism and they, they all knew who this Abraham guy was. And he points him out and says, remember that time where he has to act in complete faith and trust of God? Well, that's an example of what faith and deeds working together looks like. So faith helps us to trust in God. And as we trust in God more and more with the things that sort of come up in our life, I think it kind of produces more and more trust. The more we have faith, the more we trust, and the more we trust, the more we have faith. And what that faith starts to do in us is it starts to turn us from looking inwards to looking outwards. And so the second thing I want to talk about tonight is that faith loves those in need. The treatment of the poor and needy, the vulnerable, is of the utmost concern to James. And we see this throughout that. He's always making contrasts between the rich and the poor. He says in the end of chapter 1 that true religion that pleases God helps the orphan and the widow in their distress. For James, a meaty faith, a faith that does something, is a faith that helps those in need. And I think when we start to understand the mercy of God towards us, when we start to understand that God, even loving us, is a great act of charity on his behalf, it makes it easier for us to start doing that for others. And the early church was, was, this was sort of their bread and butter. They loved the poor, the orphan and the widow because no one else would. In fact, it was common practice to consider the poor and the orphan and the widow and the unwanted child and the person with a disability as a hindrance to remove or someone to completely ignore. Uh, In John Dixon's book, Bullies and Saints, he takes an honest look at the history of the church. He talks about the failings, but he also highlights where the church has done well and where it's thrived in carrying out the work that Christ gave it to do. And he sort of, in the book, he's discussing how the early Christian worldview was different to that of the world around it. And he uses this letter... Between a, a Roman soldier and his wife, I'm going to read it to you because I think it helps demonstrate what the culture was at the time and why James's instruction to Christians to love the poor and needy is so important. Um, the, the the soldier writing this letter refers to his wife as his sister. She's not actually his sister, most likely. That's just like the term of affection that he's using. Okay, so just. And you get it out of your system now. Okay. So, Hilarion to his sister Alice, many greetings. Also to my lady Beruce and Apollinarian. Know that I am still in Alexandria and do not worry if the army set out. I am staying in Alexandria. I ask you and entreat you take care of our child. And if I receive my pay soon, I will send it to you. Above all, if you bear a child and it is male, let it be. If it is female, cast it out. You have told Aphrodisias, do not forget me. But how can I forget you? Thus I am asking you not to worry. In this very normal first century letter between a husband and a wife, there's this throwaway line... ...that he says, if the baby is female, cast it out. And this was common practice for babies in the Greco-Roman world... ...that if a baby was not what they were hoping... ...if they wanted a son and it was a daughter... ...if the baby was born with disabilities... ...or something was medically wrong... ...they would leave them to die of exposure... When James says to take care of the orphan and the widow, he means take care of those children who have been abandoned. He means take care of people who no one else is going to help and who really it's of no benefit of you to help. And it's against these sorts of cultural practices that the early church worked hard to save unwanted children, to protect widows, to feed the poor. The church was the place and the people that helped those who could not help themselves. James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. We can see maybe why he's starting. To, he uses such strong language. Your faith, if it doesn't help those people, is dead. Maybe the, uh, the modern version of this, of, of go in peace, keep warm and well fed, is when someone comes to you with a need or you see a need and you say, I'll be praying for you. And I'm not discounting prayer. Prayer is powerful. God answers prayer and incredible things happen. But it also sometimes is a Christian cop-out for actually doing anything. It takes less faith to say, I'll pray for you, than it does to sit with someone and hear their story. Faith, James suggests, is only alive if it's activated into the realms of helping those in need. So for us today, it might look like sitting with a homeless person and hearing their story and giving them a meal and helping them access services. I would encourage you at the very least to stop and look them in the eye and say hello. It might look like intervening when we see someone being mistreated and letting people know that they have value. It might look like volunteering on a, a holiday camp for kids that are in foster care that need people who love them and need to know that there's people who actually care. There's no shortage of need. Do you have the faith to do something about it? Connected to our service, we've got a number of opportunities that people in this congregation and people in this church are involved in. Um, People that have expressed we need people. So I'm going I'm to go through some of these needs. But before I do that, let's take a minute and let's pray. And I'm going to pray that God might stir something in your heart to step out in faith. Father God, it's easy for us to ignore the needs of the world It's easy for us to do it because we're so busy and we're so distracted. Lord, open our eyes to see, open our hearts to love. We don't necessarily have it in us, but Lord, I pray that you working through us would help us to do it. By your spirit, you would strengthen our resolve and give us the faith we need. Lord God, as we talk about some of these needs I pray that you would stir in people's hearts and they would desire to help. They would desire to step out in faith. Amen. So the first thing, one of our elders um, in our morning congregation here, Dan Thomas, is involved in a a cross-cultural mission to Afghan refugees. These are people that have come from probably one of, the worst three countries in the world. If you're a, if you're in certain groups of people, if you're a woman, if you're um, not in the sort of Islamic majority of of that country, and don't hold to a certain type of Islamic viewpoint. So these are people that have have left their country not because, um, you know, necessarily they. they you know, think, oh, yep, well, I could stay here. I'll go and, you know, maybe live in Australia. These are people that are in desperate need. And uh, Dan Thomas, one of our elders, who is also, um, who literally is, like, cures cancer for a job. He's a doctor. He's an associate professor. He's one of the busiest people. And he gives time regularly. I'm just saying that because sometimes we look at we go, oh, I'm busy. Um, but he gives time regularly to to work with these people who are in this cultural minority group, a lot of them don't speak English, a lot of them um, have left family and friends and livelihoods uh, to come to somewhere where they hope they will have a better life for their children really is ultimately why most of them come. He, um, he and a small team of people are very faithfully serving and, and um, loving those people but he has expressed a need for more help He would love if there are some people that might be open to the opportunity of, of working with Afghan refugees in Adelaide. They do a weekly music program, they do meals, they help set up people with homes and, and appliances and what they need when they come here. So if, if that is something that you go, you know what, I'd be interested, he'll, he'll, um, he'll make sure you're up for it. ...he'll give you some cultural awareness and that sort of thing. But, but if that's something that stirs on your heart, please let me know after the service. There's another, um, there's an organisation called Westcare. We actually have two drawers in the foyer for donations. Now I've heard that they are desperate for toiletries at the moment. There's people coming there who are in great need that need soap for a shower... ...or a toothbrush or deodorant and they don't have um, any to give because they've given it all out, because the need is great and there's not a lot of people donating at the moment. So my challenge to every single person, this is pretty easy actually, is to bring one toiletry item and leave it in that drawer next week. Can we do that? Let's get our phones out and put a reminder in, because you'll forget. (laughs) Let's do that. That's an easy one. But for the single mum walking in there with her, three kids and with nowhere to go who needs just a toothbrush so she can brush her kids' teeth, that could make a difference. So let's do that. Um, Mike Lamy, who did the welcome before one of our elders, is involved in something called the Moore Street Dinner, and it's a community dinner. The aim of it is to tackle hunger, first of all, for people who are in need of a meal, but also loneliness. Um... They don't just hand out food, but they also offer friendship and connection. It's not just a take something and go. It's let's, let's sit together and let's share life. And the community has uh, formed among people from all different backgrounds there. A really beautiful community. But they support people that are sleeping rough, people in social housing, and people who are just on their own loneliness particularly among adult men in australia is an epidemic it's really bad and so that's somewhere if you're interested in in going along and helping with dinner and conversation and you feel like you know what i can be a friend to someone who needs a friend then please talk to mike after the service and he'll get your name and he'll he'll take it from there there's another ministry that we partner with as a church called Rahab Ministries. Um, Kate and India are a bit involved in this and Kate, who's also one of our elders, would would love to talk to you. Um, it's women only? Uh, well, the outreach is women only, but men can help drive buses um, to white men, people who are doing Great. Outreach, and they can also do everything else. Great. Men and women. right? And and what, what Rahab Ministries does is that... ...reaches out to the sex workers of Australia... ...offering a lifeline of hope and restoration. The vision of Rahab is to restore, inspire, support and love these women... ...and men who are trapped, trapped in this industry. So if you're interested in maybe helping those people out... ...please speak to Kate. And the other one is that we're going to mention tonight... ...and there are many needs... And um, I'm covering five because I felt like that was a palatable starting point, but there are many, many needs. So please, um, please seek them out. But um, Lee, who's there, who wave? He's kind of our cross-cultural missions coordinator, and he leads a team um, that's involved in the missions of Hills Baptist cross-culturally to other places in the world. Um, And I know that there's a bunch of people who have just come back from Indonesia, from Hohitei, and there's a plan to go there again. And there's a lot of need in that place. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of children who need a safe place. And if you're interested and you feel a call or a drawing to perhaps go somewhere other than Australia, and it's a specific sort of thing that not everyone will feel called to, but if that's you and you go, actually, like, I... I've got a heart, there's something that stirs in me when I think of people in other places in the world and I want to help, then please talk to Lee about that. So there's five things. And we might ask, well, why charity? Why do we have to do this? Can't we just kind of do our own thing and let God look after those people? Christ has some things to say about charity. And I'm going to leave us with something that he says in Matthew 25 and it's a bit sobering and perhaps the message tonight is a bit sobering but sometimes we need to wake up a little bit and just be aware that most of us, I'm not going to say all, but most of us here live in positions of great privilege and most of us here haven't had to face some of the things that, for some people, is an everyday reality concerned about your own safety and your kids' safety and and all that sort of things. And I know that that there are people who perhaps have been there and, and sort of I see you and I acknowledge that. But I would say that most of us have had a fairly privileged life when we think about it, really. We have a lot to be thankful for. But there are a lot of people that don't. And so we're called to them. We're called to love them. And we're called to put our faith into deed towards them. Jesus says in Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Jesus cares about the hungry and the thirsty. He uses very strong language to talk about the naked, the sick, the homeless, the prisoner and the poor. Jesus cares about these people and as those who are called to be like Christ in this world we need to ask God to help us care for those people you might feel like I don't have faith for that well let's pray that we will let's pray Father God you are good you have a heart for those in need You love the world. You sent your son to die for it. You see the poor. You see the orphan. You see the widow. You see the single mum who's struggling to feed her kids. You see the refugee. You see the child... In great need. And Lord, you love them. And Lord, you call us to love them too. And Father, we're challenged in our hearts. Because we know that we don't always do this well. But we want to. So Lord, help us. Help us to love those in need. Help us to look beyond ourselves. Help us to have faith. Lord Jesus, I pray that the church, the capital C church of the world would not be known for its buildings or its services or its music or its pastors who get into scandals or its performance lord that we would be known for loving those who the world forgets that we would be known for our charity that we would be known for our generosity that we would be known for being as karen prayed before your hands and your feet on this earth and lord jesus i pray that if there's people here that don't know you and maybe aren't a Christian, Lord, I pray that they would hear your heart in this, that Christians are called to love the world and the times that we haven't done that well, we repent of and we want to do better. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see your heart for us in this, that you love us. And that your charity extend towards us is what enables us to enact charity towards others. Lord, we don't get a seat at the table by doing all these good works, by feeding the poor or clothing the naked or anything like that, Lord. But because we have a seat at the table, we want to show other people how good our Father is and we want to invite other people in. So Lord, help us to do that. Humble us. Reveal the areas of pride in our hearts that stop us from doing this. And Lord, I just pray that our community would be known as a community that loves those in need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast.